Blog Talk Radio. to raise the question, what is it that we're going to do independent of white people? It is very, very hard for us to envision a world without white people. But we cannot create our own agenda until and unless we can define an agenda that can envision a world in which they don't exist. Now we have to wake up and come back to the reality of them. But certainly when we talk about a future, we have to talk about a future from our point of view and our historical understanding of reality. War, peace, Salbona, Habargani, Majwo, Nangadef, Anisogoma, Indamanesh, Indamana. Pan-African Greetings family, this is your host, Kamal Mukasey Tahuti, and you've entered Africa's reascension. As we usually do around these parts, we'll open the show with an apae or a libation, which deliberately calls upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirits, and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless this endeavor. I go, I go, I go. Odomakuma. Inyame, Inyame wa. Oloru, Beje insa. Asasiya insa. Abasun insa. Abasun po insa. Nana Sergebi insa. Nana Esiketua insa. Nana Dadakofi insa. Nana Kumi insa. Nana Tigre, Nana Tigre, Nana Tigre insa. Kweku free insa. Akonade Abenansa, Asubontenansa, Ochewewansa, Tamensansa, Oya Insa, Oshun Insa, Shango, Shango, Shango Insa, Nananom Insamanfu Insa, Insamanfu Abasu Afawansa, Abasun, Abasu Afawansa. Yeshremo Yansa, Yeshremo Ahuden, Yeshremo Enchera, Yeshremo Sikapa, Yeshremo Enkwasu, Yeshremo Enkwasu Abasu Afau, Ye Enkwasu. I ask that you, Urumakuman, Inyame, Inyamewa, Treaty Upon, to use me and this forum to impart clarity and cultural consistency to all within the sound of my voice. May I speak directly to their soon soon, their spirit, and reawaken the long, dormant, asleep African inside. Medasi pa, medasi bio, mo piafo, mo ne casa, medasi nanano. Yo, Madassi, no, no, no. Whew. All right, again, this is Kamal McCasey Dehudi. You've entered Africa's reascension. Um, briefly, the Apaya libation is an ancient practice that is still done to this day 
in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent that we today call Africa. Past, present, and future become one as those of tomorrow look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from and doing the rituals of yesterday. All right, quite a few things on the docket today. I first want to um, share some information with folks, and I want to get some opinions. Um, February 1st, 2011, Gregorian calendar, blog talk is changing update systems. Uh, I'm one of, it seems like all the folks who were free, who, who were doing this for free, um, we were going to have severe limitations put on our show. Um, in the email that we got, it was said that, um, like, this is an hour show, and then we get an, an hour when you listen on the computer, and then an hour if you're listening on the phone. So it's basically two hours. Um, and so if you download it, you get two hours. Um, and you can upload <clears throat> any amount of um, files that you want. And what they're basically saying is, if you want to stay for free, you're going to get 30 minutes of a show and three to maybe five um, files to upload to play. What I would like to get um, some feedback on from you guys, either in the chat room or you can hit me up in my email, kamal301 at yahoo.com, is should I continue? Um, if you download it and listen to some of the shows, pretty much every show I'm complaining that an hour is not enough time. And so I already know that 30 minutes will definitely, absolutely, positively not be enough time. Um, and and then if, if there's 30 minutes over time, then the totality of the show would only be one hour. And so... Um, there are, you know, quite a few other options that are out there. Um, you got Live 365 where you can broadcast. There's something else called JetCast, um, Harambe Radio. Um, Brother Keedy might even be able to open up a few spots on LIB Radio for other folks. Um, but Or there's the other option of going ahead and paying <laughs> 40 bucks a month for it. So basically... I would just want to get a feel from folks. Now, when I talked this over with someone else, they said to uh, put it out and really try to stay with blog talk since, you know, I already got a little small following and people are hitting me up when I don't send out the personalized emails. You doing your show? You doing your show? So folks, you know, do know that there's a show out there. Do They do know that Africa's Reascension is out there. Um, on Blog Talk, and so it would be nice to stay with Blog Talk and the, you know, the the, the, the burgeoning following that's here. But um, I'd like to get y'all opinions. Um, should I do a 30-minute show <laughs> and just be talking real fast uh, with hopefully 30 minutes of overtime afterwards to have a whole show for an hour? Uh, would you all follow me if I did go somewhere else and, uh, you know, um, and, um, publicized it properly and enough. Um, so, yeah, so in the chat, maybe send some feedback or, again, hit me up at kamal301 at yahoo.com um, just to give me some feedback on where I should go. 
Now we're going to continue dropping, and and if February first or that Sunday before then is the last show, then we're going to probably end, possibly end on resistance. Um, this week and for the next foreseeable few weeks, we're going to be dealing with resistance. This one, resistance to enslavement, phase one on the home front. So I want to read what I put on the um, show page. Tonight we'll be discussing the book that should be discussing, sorry, Fighting the Slave Trade. Excellent, excellent book. Um, everyone should go get this book if for no other reason um, to understand some of the aspects of how we fought back. Um, and if and another, if for no other reason, is each of the 12 chapters has nice extensive notes, and so you can then for yourself get the books and the journal articles that are out there that are dealing with resistance. Uh, this book discusses different tactics we used on the continent to stop marauding Caucasoids and Caucasoid helpers from enslaving us. This is deliberately non-discussed. Oh, this is a deliberately non-discussed topic in all history classes and surprisingly in most African and quote-unquote African-American history classes and books. We did not submit willingly to these exploits, and tonight re, tonight's research bears this out, and contrary to Skip Gates's BS, only a small minority of Africans helped in said exploitation. Wow, the switchboard is tripping right now. So hopefully everybody can hear me, and we're going to go ahead and proceed. Um, Folks in the chat room, hit me up and let me know if you can actually hear me because I'm not seeing, seeing mixed signals on the switchboard, so I don't know if I'm broadcasting or not. Maybe I'll have to um, refresh the page, so... Folks in the chat room, just hit me up, throw a text on there, I mean, throw a message on there letting me know y'all are hearing this. Um, but we're going to go ahead and proceed. So so that's the topic. Um, again, hit me up, Kamal301 at com to let me know if you'd be down with a 30-minute show um, or just an hour show, 30 minutes where you can listen to it over your computer and 30 more minutes where you could either pick it up on download or you could call in. And the call-in number, 760-454-1111. Right now, I cannot see the switchboard, so that's so I don't know who all. Okay, thanks, Conscious Man. So right now, I don't know who all is in the call queue, so I'm going to play a promo, hopefully, <laughs> play a promo if the switchboard will let me. Um do a quick thing of music and then get into the topic. Resistance to enslavement, phase one on the home front. Okay, so they won't let me do a promo. So let's refresh the page. Okay. You're not going to stop this talk, blog talk, you bastards. (laughs) Welcome to the desert of the real Peace family, this is your brother, Hollow 
a.k.a. Mr. Holipsism, a.k.a. The Buzz Killer. Tune in to Holipsism's Haven every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we discuss the social, economic, and political issues of the day with a common-sense approach, an African-centered perspective, and a universal sensibility. Call in number 347-843-4874. That's 347-843-4874. To check out related YouTube videos, blogs, and show archives, visit www.holipsism.com. That's www.holipsism.com. I'm making it hard to get your Negro on. Hotep, Black Power. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. Freedom possessed a heart that beat in my chest Won't let me stop until one of us is bleeding to death I live with my brothers, I can say that I love them Cause as black people, we're all responsible for each other The kids you make, you're screaming blood clots Dominicans with no socks The only difference between us is the boat stop Don't let them confuse you, you just letting them use you Believing everything they tell you, that's just something that fools do Take a moment and look and just open the book The people that they say was rape was just killers and crooks George Washington owned over 300 slaves But this is the land of the free and the home of the brave I want to dig him out of the grave and shoot him right in his face Put a needle in his vein and just inject him with AIDS Some people try to tell me forget about the past I can shoot you right now and forget about your ass How we gonna forget about 400 years All the blood, sweat and tears and the murder and the kids Killed the men and the women and nobody did a bit Better scrap off the table in the stomach of a pig I still feel the pain of those murdered and slain On the body I'm up shackled and chained. I'm afraid to the demon for as long as I'm breathing. No more getting over now, it's time to get even. Time to organize the people with your clicks and crew. Time to bring it to the soup and the boys in blue. I do what I gotta do with this delivery. The fact they put the bricks by the sacks on the back of the blacks. We better organize as we want to survive. Cause I'm a big freedom fighter to the day that I die. Whew, I love that song. Uh. People trying to tell me to forget about the past. I should shoot you right now. Forget about your ass. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. We will be discussing fighting the slave trade. Um, I picked it up back in 04, right when it first came out. Um, subtitled West African Strategies. They deliberately, you know, just wanted to focus focus the attention on, on West Africa um, so they could get some coherent stuff out there, but there is material that talks about the East African slave trade um, that sent us, you know, that, that that pulled us from that side of the continent and sent us um, through other spots of Europe and stuff. That was mainly the Arab slave trade um, that, 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 focused on the eastern side of the continent. And there was a few Europeans that also focused on the eastern side of the continent, but the majority of those of us right here right now came from parts of Western Africa. So this was a collection, Fighting the Slave Trade. It's edited by a sister named, um, hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Sylvain Dioff, D-I-O-U-F, um, and basically she edited it. It's a collection of 12 essays from a conference that was done in 2001 at Rutgers University. And it breaks 
the book is broken into um, three large um, chapters, basically. Uh, three large sections, I should say, or parts. Um, the defensive strategies that we use to fight the slave trade, the protective strategies, and then the offensive strategies that we used. And so um, the defensive strategy got five chapters, the offensive got five, and then the protective has two. Now, we're not going to, you know, fully go into all the deep minutiae of this 243-page book. Um, one, you know, one purpose of Africa's reascension is to bring along new information um, that you may have never heard of heard about before and new books that you may have never heard about before uh, to, to, to give you a different set of information to act from. Uh, for folks that listened to the shows um, a few weeks ago when we was talking about consciousness, uh, one of the aspects of consciousness are the contents that you put in, and the contents that you put into yourself shape your consciousness. And so basically from all of the classes <laughs> – um, most of the books in 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 the damn um, Cogzoy bookstores, the the content that we get put in about slavery is one, the majority of us helped. Two, that we were basically um, willing servants, willing. Um, we didn't we didn't resist when they came. We just threw our hands up. Okay, y'all can have us. Um, and three, we don't even hear shit about resistance. Period. Um, you know, they made the movie about Amistad, but, you know, the end, the reason why, one of the reasons why that story was picked and stuff, because we needed white folks to help us out with that. Um, and so while there are a lot of good movies that are out there um, that sort of depicts our enslavement or during our times in that time, uh, one of the reasons why they got to the big screen was because they had or created or 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 what's the word I'm looking for, overemphasized white folks that helped us. Um, so, I mean, Rosewood was a magnificent movie. I tell everybody to go check that out. But one reason why it made the, you know, the big screen was because of, of the white shop owner who, you know, starts off the movie having sex with a sister and and but then he's the one that gives the bullets out and does the other stuff and hides some of us as slave Africans and things like that. So a lot of the movie got put on him and 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 his um, moral dilemmas that he had to go through being a white guy um, of the white society, but then trying to help out black folks too. And you sort of miss the larger piece of what Rosewood did and was doing and what they need to do and all that sort of stuff. And so. So while there are some movies out there about resistance, they usually deal with white folks helping to help inculcate, again, the content. You can't do nothing if white folks ain't helping. <laughs> and and that's some BS. And there's even some books dealing with slavery that fully um, overemphasizes um, the abolitionist movement as if we weren't doing anything to... Uh, help ourselves as far as burning down plantations and poisoning um, Caucasoids and stuff like that. But around, but that's 
probably phase three when we talk about when we were over when we got over here. But I'm just getting a bit ahead of myself. But okay, now Will Oxane came here. I don't know if he's playing. Um, Holip and guest, y'all in here? Can y'all hear me? Okay. Um, hit me up in the chat room. Let me know if y'all can hear or if I need to refresh or something. Um. It's still saying I'm on, on the phone, so I'm assuming everything's still going ahead. Um, Okay. So, yes. So, we had defensive strategies, protective strategies, and offensive strategies. And so, yes. So, it's basically 12 12 different articles um, by 12 different people. And um, Sylvain, she has an article in the protective piece. But she has a lot of good stuff to say in the intro. And so, all right, consciously, I can still hear that's good. Um, Okay, good, good, all right. So, we'll uh, just refresh, Mike. So, so we're going to go into this introduction, introductory piece and share some of the, the ideas in here. Between the early 1500s and as late as 1860, an estimated 12 million African men, women, and children were forcibly transported across the Atlantic Ocean. About 7 million were displaced through the Sahara Desert and the Indian Ocean in a movement that started in the 7th century and lasted until the 20th. Now, before I even continue, the key word, and, 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 and I'm mad at her, she didn't mention this key word, Anytime you're dealing with estimates of the enslavement, estimates of our ma'asa, the key words you got to look for is recorded because there's um, the slavery database that's online, and then there's a new book um, that I just got a hold of. It's a big coffee table $50 book, but I got it because it's, it's pictorially based. But the big thing is recorded. And and I think now the number is somewhere around 13.5 million recorded um, enslaved people. But when folks leave out that word recorded, then we then then deliberately it's done that way. So then we can start thinking only 13.5 million of us over a 400 year period got enslaved. Um, I like Dr. Clark's quote where he says, if you're going to talk about the slave trade, if you ain't starting your count at $100 million, I ain't even listening to you anymore. If you don't start the count at $100 million, I'm not listening to you anymore. Recorded means they went through the diaries, they went through the logs, they went through, you know, personal accounts, they went through what was written, what they could find. And, and deduced and came up with that number. We What these books who talk about the numbers and say recorded as if that's the totality, what they leave out is that a lot of white folks, first of all, a lot of the, they got rid of a lot of the information. <laughs> they burned it. Um, a lot of them were not detailed accountants, so they did not have detailed accounting records of, um, all the people who they took and all this sort of stuff. Um, and and these recorded numbers do not take into account 
all of us who um, died on the road from inner Africa to the fort, who died on the ships, who died during the on the auction blocks, who died. You know what I'm saying? They do not take into account all of the deaths, all of the um, car quote unquote car, no, all of the enslaved Africans who were treated as cargo and who were thrown overboard to their deaths because another raiding ship was coming over and trying to take um, their ill-gotten gain. All of those numbers are not accounted for. So anytime you hear any estimate of how many people, look for that word recorded and know that that's just of all of the shit they've been able to account for as far as the specific numbers and log books and diaries and ship logs and other stuff like that. But do not mistake this this now. Actually, the estimate is 13.5 million to 30 million. Do not take that small number as the number for 400 years of enslavement. Again, like Dr. Clark said, if you ain't starting your count at 100 million, I'm not even listening to you. And another good book to, that, that, that sort of contradicts that is um, Walter Rodney's book, uh, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, where he actually walks through and gives um, numbers of, of the, the, the – he looks at the population numbers and he looks at how population numbers did not increase for like 30, 40 years immediately after the enslavement process. And so um, – that, that kept the numbers at a very, very small rate. Hmm. I guess we'll lock in here now. <laughs> thanks, thanks for sharing that. So yeah, so so we'll we'll give Sylvain a pass for her estimated twelve million. And I figure another reason they want to keep the numbers low is so they can tie it with the Holocaust. With the Jew, what happened with the Jews, and so we can't make any major claims for reparations because they'll try to say, well, roughly about the same amount of people died, and no, 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 no. This collection of essays seeks to offer a more balanced perspective by exploring the various strategies devised by the African populations against the slave trade. It is centered on the Atlantic trade. But um, some chapters carry, excuse me, some chapters cover strategies against the Trans-Saharan and domestic displacement of captives, and these analyses um, suggest that strategies against the slave trade were similar, irrespective of the, of the enslaved Africans' destination. Uh, a large part of the studies um, we're still reading from the book. Um, a large part of the studies on the Atlantic slave trade have focused instead, instead of, you know, looking at the resistance, instead it's focused on its economics, volume, prices, supply, cargo, expenses, profitability, gains, losses, competition, and partnerships. Because the records of shippers, merchants, banks, and insurance companies provide the most extensive evidence economic and statistical studies are disproportionately represented in slave trade studies. But a great number, if not most, envision the African almost exclusively as trading partners on the one hand and cargo on the other. Did you hear that, Skip? 
viewed from another perspective, research based entirely or primarily on slavers' logbooks and company records are almost akin to studying the Holocaust, um, the Jewish stuff, in terms of expenses incurred during the transportation of the cargo, profits generated by free labor, quantity and the cost of gas for the death chambers, size and efficiency of the crematoria, and the overall operating cost of the death camps. Crackers don't do that for the Holocaust. They definitely are dealing with um, people and, and, and the loss of life and, and, and the, the mental and psychological I personally bought two very well-researched books on the Jewish helpers of the Holocaust. And one, there's only two books that's extensively done about it, yet when they want to talk about us, that's the first thing they want to throw the hell out. Oh, well, African people help sell you in the slavery. But you don't even hardly hear the fact that Jews help sell their own folks in the slavery. There was a few Jews who even owned some of the damn concentration camps. And, and and don't test me. I'll go get the books. I got them right behind me. But you don't hear that in their argument. But you hear it the first thing that come out of people's mouths dealing with us. The main reason because of that is because the black life ain't worth nothing to Caucasoids, and they get us to believe that too. And so we just jump on, oh, we sold ourselves into slavery, so I want nothing to do with that African stuff, blah, 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 and quit blaming all the white folks. No. Do that for the Jews or shut up on that whole argument, period. Jews help sell themselves, into, a few help sell themselves into the gas chambers, and a few of us help sell ourselves into, a, into enslavement. But that point should not be overemphasized, and Caucasoids deliberately overemphasize it to get us from putting the blame squarely on where it should be on them. If they don't create the demand, if they don't create the ships, if they don't create the forts for it, the Ma'afa would not have happened, period. So we will internally deal with our own sellouts, but that point does not need to be overemphasized, and Skip Gates and his 90% of us was brought over here based on help. If anybody see him, I give you permission to slap him upside his head. Right, she continues. Um, yeah, if the word Holocaust is a fitting and immediate understood description of a crime against humanity that it was, the expression slave trade, by contrast, tends to let the collective consciousness equate this crime with a business venture. Naturally, genocide and other crimes against humanity are not commercial enterprises, but one may argue the slave trade was only partially so. The demand for free labor in the Americas resulted in the purchase, kidnapping, and shipment of Africans by Westerners who entered into commercial relations with some African traders and rulers. The violent seizure of people, however, did not entail any transaction. The affected African communities were not involved in business deals. <laughs> Although important to our understanding of the events, the literature that focuses on the commercial part of the process does not capture the experience of the vast majority of the affected Africans. 
violence was an intrinsic but not exclusive um, component to the strategies, whether on the part of the direct victims or of the larger population. If nothing else, the need for shackles, guns, ropes, chains, iron balls, whips, and cannons that sustained the veritable European Union of slave trade-related jobs eloquently tells the story of opposition from the hinterland to the high sea. As explained by a, 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 a slave trader, for the security and safekeeping of the quote-unquote slaves on board or on shore, in the African barracoons, chains, leg irons, handcuffs, and strong houses are used. Um, I will remark, this is still a quote, that this also is one of the forcible necessities resorted to for the preservation of the order and as recourse against the dangerous consequences of this traffic. Going back to um, Sylvain, Sylvain talking. Western slavers were indeed cautious when taking people by force out of Africa. Wherever possible, slave factories were located on islands to render escapes and attacks difficult. In some areas, such as Guinea-Bissau, the level of distrust and hostility was so high that as soon as people approached the boats, this is a quote, the crew was ordered to take up arms the cannon is aimed and the fuse are lighted. One must, without any hesitation, shoot at them and not spare them. The loss of the vessel and the life of the crew are at stake. So, again, she's, she's walking you through this to um, get you to see that we did not just go along happily. Like, still, some of these books, I, I've been out of the university for about 10 years, and I'm going to get back into it shortly. But I remember one of my last um quote-unquote African studies classes, the book they was using was still, you know, talking about that. It had maybe quick paragraphs talking about resistance, but then, you know, it focused on how we helped and to talk about the um, Oho or the, the, the Oho kingdom, the Oyo kingdom of Dahomey, which is one of the major helpers of, 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 of um, internal enslavement. One of the major helpers of us helping Caucasoids and slavers that talked about that it just you know it, we resisted folks <laughs> from the Ruta to the Tuta we resisted when they came over on the ships and when we got over here we resisted. <laughs> yeah. Violence was particularly, I'm reading from the book again, violence was particularly evident during the 18th century, the height of the slave trade, when numerous revolts directly linked to it broke out in Senegambia, um, Fort Joseph on the Senegal River. That then that boat was attacked and all commerce was interrupted for six years. Several conspiracies and actual revolts by captives erupted on Gore Island and resulted in the death of the governor and several soldiers. Um, in addition, the crews, of several, the crews of several slave ships were cut off or killed in the Gambia River. Um, in Sierra Leone, people sacked the captives' quarters of the infamous trader John Ormond. Um, the level, okay. Now, the level of fortification of the forts and barracoons attests again 
to the Europeans' distrust and apprehension. They had to protect themselves, quote-unquote, from the foreign vessels and from the Negroes living in the country. Uh, written records of of the attack of 61 ships by land-based Africans, as opposed to the captives on board, have already been found for the 17th and 18th centuries. And depending on how far we get in this, either next week or the week after that, um, again, we're going to talk, I'm going to go into If We Must Die. Um, this Caucasoid went through about 500, 600 uh, um, of the ships and, and of the shipboard incursions that happened. So so we resisted them before we got on the ships, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And then we got on the ships, we resisted them then too. And so we'll share information about that. Now, I sort of, let me, let me go back for a minute. Let me share this. We've got some time so I can go back. Based on the fact that I am in in a land under the colonizer's control, using the colonizer's medium to talk to you, using the colonizer's language, mean we temporarily failed in our resistance efforts. However, it is vital to know that we did resist, that we did have some victories. It is vital to study the victories to extract present-day solutions to escape and end our present more refined colonization. And it is vital that we study our failures in resistance as to not make those same mistakes and pass on a legacy of failure to future generations, which is exactly what most of us, excuse me, which is exactly what most, middle class, and non-African culturally conscious people are doing right now with their quote-unquote advice of get over it. We are Americans now. Deal with it. Forget that African stuff. Get your piece of this American pie. Get rich or die trying. That, That whole mentality. They are setting us up and continuing to set us up for generational failure. Now, when you have no consciousness of resistance, of the victories of some of the resistance movements, you are left with the consciousness of a happy slave. And the highest goal of a happy slave is to be in a high position within the colonizer's reality. Ding, ding, ding. Who's president? Happy slave mentality. You have no other vantage point. You have no knowledge of anything else. However, with an active and usable knowledge of resistance and some of those victories, one can better intellectually and practically grapple with this upcoming Dr. Clark quote that I love so, so much. He said, this is a paraphrase basically, one of the major things that we lost with our enslavement is our concept of nation management. We, as Africans and stolen Africans, once ran nations two to three times the size of our present colonizer's domicile. 
We ran it based on our African understandings of reality, and because of that, a lot of our nations lasted for longer than this present American experiment, which only after almost 300 years is crumbling before our eyes. Do you want to follow the model of a failing 300 or of a once thriving 3,000? Let me repeat that. Do you want to follow the model of a failing 3,000 or of a once thriving, did I say that wrong? Do you want to follow the model of a failing 300, excuse me, or of a once thriving 3,000? I love to listen, this this isn't pre-done, I love to get into um, discussions of, with folks who are talking about nation building and talking about putting together stuff for us, by us, in our interests. I like doing that. However, most of the times those discussions, the, 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 the panelists or the people that are talking have absolutely no understanding of traditional African culture, traditional African history, spirituality, nothing like that, and they just want to blackenize the American way of life in an African country. And that saddens me to no end. Because on one hand, it's beautiful that we're actually talking about nation building. It's beautiful that we understand that this society is not in our best interest. So, so just finding folks who are talking about that is a great thing. But then when the solutions to that aren't dealing with reactionization, reculturalization, um, the reinterpretation of politics, the reinterpretation of economics, the reinterpretation of governance from our perspective, that is going to be highly problematic, and we're going to recreate Liberia 2011 Gregorian calendar. And then, it's, it, it, then we're going to be another 50 years behind. No, no, no. We, 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 we cannot afford to do that, people. And so... Without understanding of our resistance, then all you have is the story of the happy slave and and white folks helped us get off the plantation and they helped us read and write and they gave us Jesus and the American pie and integration and white folks are okay and 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 a black president. That's that's the that's a direct Historical consciousness line, if you will. If you do not have a a how do I say it, an active and usable knowledge of our resistance. If you do, however, then you start off with we ran nations on our reality from our consciousness in our way. There is a disruption that happened that took us off our circle. Even within that disruption, there were some of us who fought back in all phases of that disruption. And there are still folks who today who are fighting within this present disruption. And part of that fighting is, again, the re-Africanization, the reinterpretation, the reculturalization of reality and then creating what you need from that 
re-askinize reality. But it starts, that, that, that part starts with having at least a practical and usable idea of the resistance. So, resistance on the home front. One of the major failures of our African territories when the Arab and Caucasoid came was our lack of communications. We did not have well-established and fast ways to transmit successes and strategies that created those successes, nor could we transmit failures and warnings of impending dangers to neighboring territories. Um, disconnected dis, disconnected uh, territories, basically. Um, and in the book, there's a piece um, by Joseph and Corey. hope I'm pronouncing it right. And his is, um, is that the one? Yeah, The Struggle Against the Transatlantic Slave Trade, The Role of the State. Now, his argumentation is that it was because we had decentralized societies in the main was the reason why um, enslavement was a bit easier for us versus if they tried to enslave, when they were trying to enslave themselves. Because if you have a large state, you have a large group of people with a cohesive government that's protecting the people's interests, it's a lot harder for folks to just come in and, and, and take people and do what they want to do willy-nilly because you're reducing that population and then there'll be no need for the government and those people in charge and they'll lose their power and such and such and so on. And I do buy some of that argument, but I don't want to buy it all because then I think you overemphasize the state. And and if you've read or, or, or heard me talk about Ife Amadeume, in her book, um, Reinventing Africa, she poses a very good argument that we don't have to have states necessarily to be successful. We can be decentralized societies, uh, but but have more cohesion. And 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 actually, the way of the centralized state, uh, when you listen, when you read um, Futurist magazine, and when you talk to people who are looking t toward the future and things like that, uh, they and oh oh I can't remember the exact term that they're using, but it's not terraforming. Oh, well, what's the term? I can't think of it right now. But they're basically saying that they want to create basically more decentralized societies. They want to create smaller pockets of people so that um, in the case of a, 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 a national disaster or in case of a big outage or something, you won't have whole swaths of people who are out of power, who are out of food or whatever. It's, it'll be just, um, you know, more centralized with the, the smaller pockets of people. And and that, to me, almost sounds like even a good strategy for us, um, wanting to create our different nations and things like that. We may want to look at smaller pockets of people doing things, setting up communities, but then they, they still are linked. And so, so the, there's a free flow of information that's going in between each group, but you don't have, like, 
15 million people here and 12 million people here, stuff like that. You may want to have it in smaller sizes, and then you, the power stations can be smaller. Um, you can address more people's needs um, within that area versus, you know, how we're doing now. You've got these huge – like, what was that, a few years ago, um, the, um, the, the grid – there was a big power outage in like half the eastern seaport was without power for a few days because one transformer or a few transformers blew in, I think, Ohio. Um, to get around that, you have, you know, smaller pockets of people with their own transformers and things like that to deal with smaller groups of people. So if you have power outages, they won't knock out whole large areas. But um, so, so, so while in Corey's, argument does have some weight in this particular context, especially with the fact that you um had you had to have the Asante Confederacy and you had to have Shaka Zulu do the things that they had to do to create larger groups of people to be able to fight off these um Caucasus. Um they had to unfortunately um forcefully um get people to join the Asante up in West Africa and forcefully fuse together these smaller um, groups into the larger Zulu empire. And once that was done, you know, when you study the history of the fighting, the the, the Asante confederacy was kicking the British butt. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was that last, that last one, you know, that, that eventually did them in. But I think they came back like maybe 15, 20 times, and we spanked they butt 14 or 19 of those times. And even down in um, some, what we call Southern Africa with the Zulu Empire, they, they Shaka had to do the same thing. He had to um, forcefully bring some of these smaller groups into his enclave, and, that's, and then they went and fought the British and, again, kicked they butt numerous amounts of times, but eventually, you know, possibly some of his own ego and not listening to certain other things, and then constant British incursions finally got in and defeated them. So, 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 smaller groups, but with a a connection, a, a communications network um, that gets information back and forth to each group quickly and effectively so they know what's going on. Um, so that's that that's what I see as one major failure um of our territories that created them off in the first place. Um and then another one which I sort of just talked about actually. Um another major failure, even sadly after Arab incursions, were little to no large unified territories to ensure what the Arabs did wouldn't happen again. Um, This is what led to the formation of the Asante Confederacy and the Zulu Empire. In both cases, leaders knew that disparate small groups could not defeat the pursuing Caucasoid hordes, so these leaders had to forcefully unify previously disconnected groups into larger territories to properly fight the the Caucasoid enemies and their dark-skinned helpers. Um, So, so... And then in the chapter right before Joseph and Corey's piece um, by Walter Hawthorne, he has a whole chapter called Strategies of the Decentralized. 
descending communities from the slave raiders in coastal Guinea-Bissau, uh, 1450 to 1815. And both of those are in the offensive strategies uh, piece. Okay, I thought I had more time than I did. But the switchboard froze again. Ah! Blog talk is on one tonight. Okay. So I hope nobody had their hand up because I ain't see it. Um, let me refresh again. Okay. Wow. Whew, man, do I really want to even think about paying for this? They need to clear up some of these damn glitches if we're going to even think about paying for them. So, yeah, let me get into a few of these. So, like I said, you had defensive strategies, protective strategies, and offensive strategies. Now, in some of the defensive strategies, she talks about fear no buy, one of the authors, examines the defensive strategies devised by populations um, in, in Nigeria. A landscape of mountains, caves, underground tunnels, and marshes were cleverly used for protection and reinforced with the building of ramparts, fortresses, and other architectural devices and the planting of poisonous and thorny trees and bushes. These refuge sites enable people to maintain their existence, their cultures, and their religions. Dennis Cordell explores parts of the same region as well as today's um, Central African Republic. He revisits the myth of the inevitability of capture and the invincibility of slave traders to show that resistance was highly organized and that migration and the regrouping and fortifying of settlements proved effective in many cases. While the strategy of relocation, he stresses, did not confront um, slave raiders and slave traders right on, it hit at the very core of their activity by depriving them of people to capture and sell. So within the defensive strategy chapters, you'll find out that, you know, we would move back into more inaccessible areas, um, and or, because sometimes we wouldn't have moved, but if we did move, we would then set up traps. Um, I was reading in here how um, they would have scouts on towers to look over the particular road. They, they'd go to areas where there was only one road to get in and one road to get out, so they'd be able to see all the traffic. And then they would basically booby trap that one particular road that could get in, that, that you know, that, that yeah, that you could get in. And so either, like we said, there would be spikes on the road, there would be, like, false bottoms. Like like, like they showed that in, in, the, in the movie Quilombo. And that, that, that's, that's a good um, visual example of what we also did um, in Africa to fight off um, carcassoids and their folks. We would dig and dig and dig down into the earth um, and then place, like, spikes or stuff down at the bottom of the pit. And then we'd... Um, Loosely cover the top of it back up, so then if if there was um, enslaved African traders and raiders coming, and if they didn't know to you know go around <laughs> particular area, um, they would fall into the pit, fall onto the spikes, and be killed. Um, 
And so those were some of the defensive strategies that we used. Other folks um, moved into different caves or, or cavernous terrain, and, and the white folks and their helpers weren't willing to go through the caves um, and navigate, you know, being in caves to um, possibly get lost. You don't know what plants are in there that could kill you. You don't know what animals or whatever that's in there to kill you. So they they left. Um, a lot of uh, there's a few groups that they discussed to use the caves route. You know, used to go take the defensive route into caves who were able to sustain their existence and um and and, and keep their culture and stuff alive. Um, so now I'm still in the intro. Um, they talk about the protective strategies. The protective one was interesting. That's probably why there's only two of those chapters because this one didn't work too much. Uh, but again, we need to study it to know that so we don't do that shit again. One strategy adopted throughout the continent to protect people from local enslavement or deportation was to redeem those who had been captured. Redemption was a complex, difficult strategy that often failed and may appear with hindsight detrimental and controversial since it deported two people in the place of one. But it rested on the very human and universal rationale that people would protect their relatives from deportation and enslavement, even if it meant sacrifice of strangers. So basically in the protective strategy, and they had a few chapters dealing with that, um, you would let's say let's say your 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 wife had been taken you would the, the the particular groups that they look at they would engage in a war with a smaller group take a few people captive and then try to get in contact with the um with the higher ups who are the enslavers and say if you send such and such back i will give you these two people or i'll give you these three people if you send them back I'll do this. Some people even said, take me, if you take me and and this person and this person, bring this person back. And um, and like that little small piece said, it more times failed. If for no other reason, then Cogazoids ain't to be trusted. They just came in and took you out of your area in the first place. Um, and so you think, oh, okay, we're going to find a dimbo, and then, you know, y'all come and replace them. No, they just they just got three people <laughs> instead of just the one person. So the protective strategies, you know, um, we, we we tried it. It didn't work, and so we know not to try that again. Um, so time's about to run out, so I'll touch on a few of the offensive strategies, but I want to go ahead and get go in-depth in the offensive strategies. So next week will be a part two of phase one, and we'll just fully focus on uh, the offensive Offensive strategies that we use to um, um, fight enslavement. So, so we'll play the closing. Everybody will be brought in, and we'll just continue for a little bit. So, um, next week, resistance to enslavement, phase one, part two, um, the offensive strategies. Um, Abibi Fahodier, total African liberation.
system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work and they will lose their control. All right, there may be a little bit of time for if anyone in the chat room want to come on live, come on. Um, 
those lies are put out there more, but the resistance aspect, you don't hear about it. You got to dig for it. You actually got to look for it. And 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 some folks are just intellectually lazy. I mean, it goes back to the whole: if you hate if you hate a part of yourself, then you're naturally going to hate Africa. So then, if you hate Africa you want to be disconnected from anything dealing with Africa. So therefore, folks like me and Holip and Kwesi Ra and other folks who put Africa in your face, you're not going to like us too much because the root problem is you got issues with you and the African that you look at in the mirror every day. But if we we could purge ourselves of that, and then do a bit of digging and research, we will find out we fought back on every plane possible to stop this 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 Maasa. Every plane possible. They even have a small piece in here on um Ship, shipboard revolts. Using detailed data on slave ship voyages, David Richardson explores the unknown relationship of shipboard revolts to the structural characteristics of the slave trade and to the political economy of slavery within Africa. Richardson's study shows that reasons for the higher reasons for the higher incidence of revolts aboard ships leaving from a particular region are to be found not in European management failure, but in African political and social reality. Basically, oh, well, black folks, you know, those Negroes revolted on the ships because the mighty, mighty European didn't um, didn't handle their things right, and they were too lax with them, and that's the only possible reason why they revolted on the ship. Blah, 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 blah. I'm from Harvard. Listen to me. No. We fought back on the ships because all human beings want freedom. <laughs> all human beings aren't just going to willingly, okay, enslave me, I work for you, screw my family, I don't know where you're taking me, but... Whatever you're about to give me is going to be better than uh, what I'm doing now and all that sort of stuff. Now, I've been picking on Skip, but if anybody sees Jesse Lee Peterson, I give you the right to slap his ass in the head, too, for his stupid comments on I'm glad the white man came and enslaved me to trap me in Africa and all that stupidness. Slap him in the head, too. See, we it's deliberately overemphasized of us who helped sell us into enslavement. And what I've been saying ever since I've been on this quest is that, and and it's from actual information, so I'm not making this up, is that only a small percentage of us helped. Everyone has their sellouts. The present generation of black Republicans, I feel, are the descendants, either physical descendants or or spiritual descendants, of those who helped sell us into slavery. And while there's only a small amount of fool-ass, black-skinned Republicans 
there was only a small amount of fool-ass Africans who helped sell us into this Ma'afa period. And so when you look at it that way, every group has their sellouts, and it's an internal matter to deal with the sellouts, then it, it, it loses it's it's overemphasis that Skip and all Caucasoids want us to deal with in dealing with this um, enslavement piece. I'm telling you, go up to your white friends <laughs> and begin talking about slavery. One of the first things is gonna fly out their mouth. But didn't y'all say y'all fell into slavery? Go up to somebody, a black person that has no idea about their history, or maybe took one or two classes, start talking about slavery. First thing, second thing to fly out their mouth. Didn't y'all say yourselves in slavery? That's how good the propaganda of Cogazoids has been. So the answer is yes, the a small amount helped sell us into slavery. Their descendants are probably the black Republicans now, just as they are a minority within us and should not be overemphasized. The sellouts who helped get us over here were a small minority and do not need to be overemphasized. The complete 97% of our focus has to be on the European that helped get us over here, um, the why, the, the psychological damage that that has and continues to incur on us, um, how to um, reverse those trends, how to de-Europeanize our reality, all that sort of stuff. But the focus got to be put on that Caucasoid. Not letting those that help get off the hook. No, 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 no. But that should not be the overriding discussion of the Ma'afa experience. And Caucasoids have hijacked it, and now they get a few of us and put us in certain positions, black-skinned folks, and now we take the Caucasoids' hijacked message about enslavement and pass it on and pass it on and pass it on, and then Skip Gates can do his stupid explicit. So, yeah. Wow. A lot, I, I was just flipping through, um, again, some of the um, notes and the personalized bibliographies for each one of these chapters. And, whew, there, there was one book that was done in 97. Um, I wish I could get a hold of it. It's called The Neglected Source Material for Studying the Slave Trade in Dahomey. Now, I, and, and that was in a larger book called Source Material for Studying the Slave Trade in the African Diaspora. Now, just the title alone, I don't know what's in it, you know, but just that title alone, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what's in there. Um, let's see, there's still a few folks still listening. Um, I'm trying to see, do I want to go more in-depth into the um, defensive strategies or... See, no, I just want to focus on the offensive strategies because we've been playing defense.
Oh, wow. I'm sorry. We've been playing defense for too long. Let me continue the thought. Um, again, looking through the bibliography for just the introduction, there was, I guess, a journal article written again in 97 called Africa's Understanding of the Slave Trade, Oral Accounts. Um, yeah, it's a journal article. I'm just looking at other stuff that I need to dig up. Because, you know, we get to, I, I've always heard that we didn't know, we didn't understand to the full extent of what was going on, um, especially in the beginning. And that's possibly one of the reasons why we helped. Because within the servitude system that we had, where none of our folks left the continent, and in 98% of the cases, it was not as brutal and as backwards and as stupid as what chattel slavery did. Uh, we thought in the beginning that Europeans just were doing the same thing that we did, and so we exchanged, you know, people. I mean, it's never right to exchange people for freaking copper or silk or nothing like that, but that that that's one explanation that okay, we just thought that we were going to, you know, we were do they were doing the same system that we were doing, and, uh, you know, we, we, we'll trade a few folks and get some other goods. Okay, no big deal. Okay. And I can agree with that, you know, for a while, but especially around the 1800s Gregorian calendar, you know, especially when it started getting hot, folks on the continent, a lot of folks had to know what was going on because while I, while I said we didn't have we had lack of communications, we did you know get information to each other in two different areas. It just you know took a long time, um, and so for present day, you know we don't want to reduplicate that. But you know especially the, the kings and 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 other folks within the hierarchy, you know they had their scouts, they had their century men, other folks like that who could do, who, you know, who did travel and, and who did hear the stories. And other folks, you know, were coming in and sharing stories and stuff like that. And so I know that that, that oral information had to filter down to uh, more and more African people. And so especially in that 1800s, I don't know if I can then buy into that main argument that, oh, well, we didn't know and we thought they were doing the same thing. But I'm saying that to say that it would be interesting to get my hands on this Africa's understanding of the slave trade, oral accounts, again, to get a feel of, you know, the information that um, Debril, Summer, Iane was able to pull up to get us to, to 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 see you know what was what was going on in, in in the mindset of you know of when it was actually happening what was going on in our mindsets at that time what did we hear what didn't we hear other stuff like that so um, but again this book is is priceless to get to some of the resistance stories as well as for its notes and bibliography section so then we can. Um, do this digging. We need to get some resistance experts, some Arunich experts out there, um, folks who who the majority of their study is on this type of information, resistance and Arunich and things like that. 
Um, one, pulling together all the historical data that's needed. Um, two, analyzing it through an African-centered lens. And then three, extracting potential solutions to help us um, escape <laughs> this, this, this present system as well as rebuild after we're out of it. And there's quite a few accounts in here of us um, on the defensive side and on the offensive side using our um, spirituality um, to, to, to combat these bastards. Um, and when disparate groups were pulled together, again, when you share a common worldview like Akan and Yoruba and, and, and Mende, and when you share a, a general common worldview, it's a lot easier to fuse together those worldviews and fuse together the cosmologies. That's why the successful Maroon groups were successful because they fused together their traditional African cosmologies and understandings into a cohesive group worldview and move forward on that. And the unsuccessful ones would do that, but then they would try to incorporate runaways who were Christian, runaways who were Islam, Islamic, who did not want to throw away that, throw that away, and then come back to their traditions. So then they tried to incorporate the foreign systems into the Maroon societies, and they eventually crumbled. And I just bring that up because another quote here is, um, as far as the fusion piece, guys were also associated within the defensive system um, of the Tofinu, Tofinu people against um, close or distant enemies. Most, if not all, deities of the various ethnic groups were integrated into their quote-unquote pantheon. Thus, the quote-unquote cult, I hate that word, Thus, the grouping, the group of the Yoruba deity Shango is one of the most um, popular traditional religions in Ganvie. And um, Ganvie is, where is that in um, Sierra Leone? In Benin, I'm sorry, in, in southern Benin. Um, and that came from page 10 in the book, focusing more on the defensive strategies. But, um, so, yeah, so no one's got their hand up, and I want to ramble too much more. But So next week we're going to delve fully into the offensive strategies that they lay out, um, some of the specific ways that we resisted on the continent to the enslavement of our own people by the outsiders. And there's even a chapter in here that um, talks about the Abam people and the Oro people in Igbo land who were some major uh, helpers of enslavement. And it talks about what different groups did to um, fight them off. Uh, because, again, we, we did have folks who helped. That's a historical fact. But it's way greatly overemphasized that it was everybody running around trying to enslave everybody. That's a bold-faced lie, and skip gates need to be slapped, and every white author that says that needs to be slapped, and every other black author who says that needs to be slapped. We resisted from the Ruta to the Tudor. And now we got to ask, are we resisting now? But that's We'll discuss that at a later show. <laughs>
Oh, there's some good stuff. So, yeah, so Fighting the Slave Trade, edited by Sylvain Duff, Joff, S-Y-L-V-I-A-N-E, last name D-I-O-U-F. Um, I've got it on my page. So uh, click on all the books and all the links and the ads and stuff. And if you get the book, you know, click through it and get it through through the link. And then that'll that'll help me out through blog talk. Um, but we're going to go some more into this. Look at the offensive strategies next week. Um, also, again, hit me up at command three hundred one at yahoo dot com to let me know if on February first, when Blog Talk changes up everything, do y'all want me to continue but just have thirty minutes on if you listen on the computer. And maybe 30 minutes if you listen on the phone, so it'll just be an hour. Or would you um, follow me if I went um, somewhere else? If I went to Jetcast or or or, or, or Live 365 or uh, somewhere else? Uh, or should I go ahead and pay for it? Forty, I think it's yeah, 40 bucks a month. I want to hear what you all have to say about that. Um, I would like to continue the show, um, even if I can't get two full hours on the computer like like I would want, at least one hour could suffice. Um, But, yeah, y'all let me know and hit me back, and I'll be talking with um, the other network of – African-centered people on Blog Talk see what they're going to do. See if we're going to get a consortium together, or if there's some other ideas, whatever, whatnot. But hit me up, command three hundred one at yahoo dot com to um, share your opinion. If if you feel Africa's reascension has value, and you would like for it to continue in its present format, um, or close to its present format, or um, if you will. Come with me if I have to move somewhere else to another internet radio site. All right. Same time next week. Tell all your friends, please um, download it and pass that on. Abibi Fahodie, Total African Liberation.